Welcome everyone, this is all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast 172, recording this on Tuesday the 1st of March. I'm Steve Litchfield and we have Rafe Blanford back from Mobile World Congress. Yes, that's right, Steve. Hello everybody, good to be back. Uh, there was, of course, loads and loads at Mobile World Congress. We're going to touch on that in this podcast as well as the usual Windows 10 mobile topics and everything else we like to chat around about. Absolutely. Well, we we must start actually with the Lumia 650 because I've got while you were gone, I did the full review. <laughs> managed to get hold of one, and I was I was really quite impressed. Um, it, it's a very premium device with very unpremium internals. Which, having said that, it, it's not so unpremium that the average user would pick up a 650 and think, well, this is underpowered because the it all flows quite nicely, and it's not until you really hit it with some some major games or some heavy duty web pages that things really start to slow down a bit. But even then, you wouldn't notice it as a quite as a normal as I like to say. And um, we do you agree? Did you get hands on with the 650? And did you think it was as, as premium as I thought? Uh, I I did. I have to admit, I picked up the 650. And I thought, wow, they've made this really nice. Why couldn't they do it for the 950? Um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before, and it really depends on your perspective, um, how much you care about these things. But, you know, even just putting that same design onto the 950, I think, would have changed people's perception of the device. And, you know, actually, I think it's a pretty amazing achievement to make a, a device that's sort of at that price point, and given that it's from one of these mainstream manufacturers and not kind of one who really does the price cutting, you know, one of the Indian or the Chinese manufacturers, to get what feels like a quite a premium device at that price point is is really great. And as you say, you know, some of the performance characteristics, I had a quick go with one. But yeah, it still feels pretty slick and smooth, actually more so than sort of certainly the upgraded Windows 10 mobile device as I played with the kind of layer and chipsets. Um, and so I, I think you're right. You know, if you're a high-end phone lover, you're going to look at this and go, no, there's no way I can cope with that phone. And frankly, you probably won't want it because it is running that kind of Snapdragon 200 level uh, processor. Uh, and you'll be used to something a bit quicker. But I was quite pleasantly surprised, as I have been for all the low-end devices, that, you know, through all the basic functionality, it performs very well. And, you know, it's maybe a bit unkind to describe Windows 10 Mobile as this, but it's kind of the ultimate feature phone. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you're not that worried about the apps and that whole kind of smartphone ecosystem, you will find Windows 10 Mobile really accessible, some very attractive devices in the form of something like the Lumia 650 that's very easy to understand and get into. I think the live tile system, we've talked about this before, it's really good for novice users more so than I think a lot of Android devices. And even now the iPhone is arguably becoming a little bit difficult to pick up because of all the extras that get added on. And it's a much more sophisticated device. And sometimes it's definitely a case of less is more. And I think the uh, Lumia 650 is another entry in that really you know, great mid-tier and sort of lower mid-tier devices that uh, actually has been the kind of bread and butter of Windows Phone and going back to the Nokia days for a long time now. I mean, it's actually difficult to think of a high-end device that really stands out from the pack. I mean, even something, um, you know, going back to, I don't know, maybe the uh, 925 or the 1020, you know, they were either specialist devices or they were kind of on a par with what else is out there. And I'd actually say the 650 is one of the best in that. So £130, £140 price point, if you kind of sort of step away from being pure spec and, you know, pure platform driven, actually just in terms of being able to get your email and messaging and all of that. And we'll talk about Windows 10 mobile mobile a bit later because i think there may be some issues there but 
I was I was really quite blown away by the feel in the hand. Uh, I particularly like the white version. It feels kind of really pure and kind of returned to some of the design ethos that were banged on before with the Nokia design team, uh, which it felt like had been lost with the with the 950. I'm curious, Steve. You know, you've been using it for a, a little while now. You posted the review. I mean, aside from the obvious thing that you'd probably end up with a higher end phone, is this something you'd recommend to family and friends? Well, it, it runs Windows 10 Mobile, which is probably the sticking point that you alluded <laughs> to there. That I still think Windows 10 Mobile isn't beta. We may come back yeah. to that later in this podcast if we have time. But uh, um, I, I was absolutely blown away by how good it felt in hand. Also, how light it felt yeah, in hand. Yeah. Um, I'll come just to come back to that in a moment too. But uh, just talking about the 950 to, and 650 in comparison, it really feels like the 950 and 950XL were... Um, designs from at least six months before the 650 got started. And in other words, they, they, they weren't from the same design stable. The 950, 950XL were probably on the drawing board 18 months or so before November last year. So what would that make it? Sort of early 2014. I think the 650 was started about a year later and as mm. such had totally new design constraints and, and different ambitions, different materials were used. Does that sound fair? Well, I think you're being too kind, frankly. I think the 950 <laughs> and 950XL just just work finish off i mean honestly if you pick up the two devices and hold them one in each hand you'll think the 650 is the more expensive phone you know yeah. before you actually switch them on and see the performance look at the camera and everything else you really shouldn't be in that situation where the device that's you know, you know well at launch was sort of 500 pounds and even now is still you know three or three times more expensive um so I think that says a lot about the reception and the way people talk about the 950. And it, it was pretty common, actually. I talked to a few people at MWC who said, you know, actually the camera was the standout thing for most people on the 950 and 950XL, as it has been on a lot of the Lumia devices. But the design was sort of kind of universally panned as being boring or just, you know, not standing out. And it's kind of frustrating in one sense because you look at a device like the 650 and clearly you can add quite an attractive design aesthetic without it costing the earth i mean i imagine that the materials going into that phone are you know pretty minimal in terms of cost because you know you've still got a pretty decent camera and some decent amount of memory in there i mean the processor is obviously you know, low cost but you look at some of the other components yeah you know, it's a good compromise i mean i do wonder perhaps whether the the 650 is just a little bit too expensive when you consider there are some really attractively priced android devices around the 99 and lower uh, price point. Having said that, the 650 will you know, presumably drop drop in the price point um, in the next few months. Um, but I think for enterprise users looking at uh, Windows as kind of their complete solution, you know, the 650 is going to be a really great device because you'll be able to obviously get a lot more of those for your money than something like the, the 950. And it did feel that that was kind of missing. You had the 550 right at the lowest end. I would still like to see something in between the two devices. But actually one of the themes at MWC was the fact that, you know, mid-tier got really going strong the last couple of years, but actually the low-end devices have now caught up a little bit. And so there's there's always been this difference, of course, across the portfolio, but now it feels like there's a much narrower difference between low and high-end. And mid-tier did well for a while because it was noticeably better than the lowest, the cheapest devices. But now the difference between those really low-cost and those mid-tier devices is is smaller kind of inevitable progress Moore's law and all that kind of thing and so there's almost a bottoming out of the devices costing 200 pounds to maybe 300 pounds and you know, the high end survives obviously 
Um, but it was interesting, Samsung was talking a bit about that with regards to their portfolio, saying there's going to be less of a focus on those mid-tier devices. And that was evident from other manufacturers. Um, the 650 is arguably sitting at the upper end of what that what you might you call that low tier um, of smartphones. And there were a lot of other devices from the likes of Alcatel, a lot of the other Chinese manufacturers as well, which were £100 or less. And then, of course, there were the big flagship devices like the LG G5 and the Samsung S7. Um, I wonder whether it's just, just maybe £20, £30 too expensive. Maybe that's being harsh because actually I think it's a really fantastic device. And here I'm really talking about the positioning and the business side of it rather than whether I think it's a, a nice device or yeah. not. But uh, yeah. you know, all the evidence I've seen so far suggests that um, you know, for a lot of people, if you don't want to spend a great deal on a phone, this would be a very good buy. And yes, I think we should come back to Windows 10 Mobile uh, a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah, I may be a, a bit oversimplifying enterprise uh, and business uh, expenses, but I, I estimate that um, businesses, if you say you go into Microsoft and say, we want 500 uh, Lumia 650s at XVAT in the UK and in bulk, you're going to get them for about £99 each. So it's going to be about the £100 price point, which I think is very, very fair for the specification. I just want just to look at the uh, comparison I did put up on the site with the Lumia 640, which is the obvious one to make, really. It's the successor. And yet it's very, very different feeling the hand um just to go down some of the specs it's it's almost 30 grams lighter which is it's kind of a amazing really you're using metal and yet it's much lighter it's just much much better design it's thinner it's it's sleeker it's it's better crafted um the the, the screen is amoled rather than lcd which and it's still got the, it's got the full clear black display not just the clear black display light and that makes a huge difference the screen on the 650 is just gorgeous rafe wouldn't you agree it, it is i mean they've done a great job with that i mean what i would say about the 640 versus 650 it feels like someone sat down and go what are the important points the things that really matter and we'll put a little bit of emphasis on that and it's things like the screen and actually the weight's an interesting one um, because a lot of the reason for that is the battery is a little bit smaller. I think it's down from 2,500 milliamp hours to 2,000 milliamp hours. Now you, you sort of go, oh, that's a bad thing in these days of battery. And to be fair, I haven't run it through its paces over a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks to see what happens. But talking to some of the uh, people involved, they were saying that actually the, the, the technology or the processor and all of the other chipsets are tuned a little better and you can expect to see very similar battery life in fact that's what the uh, battery specification suggests as well that typically does happen the longer a processor has been on the market because essentially there's efficiencies that can be be done with the integration with all the drivers so although you can't take that to the bank yet because we haven't really tried it out you know getting that weight down is an important thing yeah as you say i would highlight the uh, screen also just the little touches like the extra memory because it's 16 gigabytes versus 8 gigabytes steve yeah, absolutely. And you've got, uh, this, oddly, this is micro SD support up to 200 gigabytes, which isn't the power of two, which is rather odd. So I suspect <laughs> there's something slightly gone wrong in the marketing there. But yeah, the eight gigabyte internal list devices, they are just starting to run a bit low, really, because there's a lot of people will have certain stuff that has to live on the internal. And then you've got to leave room for big um, firmware and OS updates. So I think Microsoft has realized that for any device that's going to really stand the test of time, they've got to have a 16 gigabyte internal disk. And to, to fit that in at this price point, I still feel still is quite impressive really um got a great camera as well um f over 2.2 i mean to, to be to say you could have a, a good camera with that aperture and 
720p video capture is probably the biggest limitation. But again, at the price point, it's jolly, jolly good. And I did a comparison, a brief camera comparison with a 640. And maybe it's just better algorithms. Maybe it's a more recent sensor. But in, although the two devices are supposed to have the same camera, I found the 650 took much better shots. It's just uh, very odd, really. <laughs> All round, I was just over, overly impressed. Um, the, the front camera is a 5 megapixel rather than 1. That's a, a big deal to an awful lot of people, especially at this end of the price spectrum. Um, there's sensor core hasn't got the uh, hasn't got the compass. Do you think compass is important? Well, it is for some applications. If you're going to be doing things like augmented reality um, and wanting to do that orientation in uh, 3D space, however, the number of applications that actually do that on these devices is is pretty limited. It's also pretty helpful for navigation because obviously it allows a sort of orientation of the map, but. Yeah, I mean, that's getting quite fussy on a device at this price point. It does seem a slightly peculiar thing to leave off because, I mean, I would imagine that the uh, kind of the sensor core, the chipset that would have this in as well, adding that in wouldn't be very much. But um, don't know the full details of that. But if you're going, you know, as I said, you know, if you're tuning this to be a sensible device, and you know, it, they, they seem to have got all the things that I would classify as most important. They've either kept the same or, in, in most cases, improved. The battery is the one maybe area of her questions over that and we'll have to wait and see and you know the big one that people will focus on immediately is kind of the the processor but again i think that's a, a tricky one to talk about until you actually use it um in real use and you know when i was playing with it i couldn't see much differences to the the 640 i think if you get your stopwatch out you will notice a second or two on on some apps particularly if you're opening up for the first time but of course these are these devices actually a bit more generously equipped with RAM. Both of them have got a gigabyte, and it always used to be on the older devices. You know, switching between apps, you would find that some are close in the background. This tends to happen a little bit less now. So, I noticed you did a few tests on kind of launching applications, and it was sort of eight versus ten seconds, or seven versus eight seconds. And yeah, okay, that's a ten percent difference. But in day to day use, is that going to be a really big deal? Interesting one. That I, as I say, to me, that feels like the right compromise. If you're going to say that it's got the better screen and the better camera on it, for example, I would choose those over yeah. losing a second or so opening the odd application, particularly the type of person that's going to be using this. I don't think they're necessarily going to be really application heavy and the ones that they do use there may well be left open in the background. May, maybe being a bit too generous there, but overall I did think this is one of the, the best of the Lumia devices in, 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 of the recent announcements at least. It sort of reminds me actually of the uh, 730 and the 830 in terms of it just felt like a good all-round package given all the compromises and all the decisions that have to be made at that price point. Yeah, which is very interesting because in my full review of the 650 up on the site, I made special mention of the 830. It felt like, the, not a successor to the 830, maybe that's going too far. It felt like something in the same vein. Now, exactly. Even a mini spec comparison with the 830. And the 830 surprisingly doesn't outgun it by much. It's only really the OIS and the camera. And apart from that, you're getting the... The, the, the level of design and finesse and the, the lightness and the performance of the 830, or very nearly, and, and apart from a slight uh, deficit in the camera, you're getting all that for something like half the price that the 830 was. I think that's actually an astonishing uh, example of how, how much more value for money people are getting. Yeah, and if you consider we're really only talking about, what, you know, 18 months or so, uh, difference in terms of the announcement yeah. date so you know it, it does continue to uh, amaze me um i guess that's probably enough on the 650 we'll probably come back to it in a future podcast but uh, maybe a touch on some of the other uh windows 10 yeah. mobile devices from mwc 
Um, I guess there were two big ones that caught a lot of attention, one of which was the HP Elite X3, uh, which was kind of, I guess you'll dub the ultimate continuum device and very much from HP, a big enterprise provider, sort of seeing an enterprise opportunity to have a, a basically a PC packaged as a phone. And that's the way they very much talk about it on the uh, on the show floor. And I know you talked about this in the last podcast in terms of the workspace, which kind of gives extra flexibility to continue because actually essentially what it is, it's kind of a remote access uh, tool, you know, of which there are many, uh, but this allows you to have multiple windows open, which continuum in its current form doesn't allow you to do so it's much more like a real desktop experience and obviously it's quite a clever way of doing it because it actually puts all the computing muscle in the cloud effectively whereas the phone is then just responsible for having to run the graphics which um it's got a really nice snapdragon 820 processor, so it did feel very quick indeed um in that kind of continuum mode where occasionally you'd notice a lag when using normal continuum um, they said it wasn't actually very well optimized, so I suspect it may be a case that they were showing exactly the right bits of the demo, um, because the other thing to appreciate about this device is it's not coming out for uh, a while, but you know, talk about the summer without actually any specific dates. Um, it also has the uh, usual Windows Hello biometrics to uh, unlock the device, um, but I guess the big big one for a lot of people will be the fact it runs the Snapdragon 820 processor, so that's on a par with all the other flagships that were being announced at the show, and the 820 is a big step up over kind of the 810 and the 808, which were in all of last year's flagships. Qualcomm seems to have got a home run. I mean, they certainly got a lot of attention with it being announced in the other flagship devices. When the LG G5 was announced, for example, they had Qualcomm on stage and really praised them, which is actually somewhat unusual. You don't see that so much these days. It always used to be a feature of older uh, phone announcements. And similarly, um, some variants of the Samsung S7 also got the 820 inside. And just from a, a combination of performance and the energy budget, it seems like a really super processor. I mean, I can't really tell you all that much about the X3 because, you know, they were quite careful about what they were showing off. Uh, picking it up, yeah, it's a very attractive device. It sort of has this uh, high quality audio uh, components. It's relatively thin. The camera looked like it was pretty good. Um, but it's always difficult to make these these judgments when you're on the show floor. But actually what caught my attention was the way they talked about it. It wasn't sort of a consumer smartphone. It was very much a enterprise smartphone and it would allow you to carry your computer around with you in your pocket and they were showing it off with the you know, appropriate bluetooth keyboard and mouse and then a, a docking station attached to a big hp monitor i mean i don't know what it was like from outside the show i mean how much attention was it getting steve oh, quite a lot in fact surprising amount there's quite i was listening to the mobile nations podcast um and uh, that, one of the chaps on there that made a very apposite comment he said it, it's like hp went to the store that sells all the components all the possible things you could have for a smartphone and just said yes control a select all buy and, and just running down some of those specs they really have caught people's attention i mean it's, 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 there's also this hp mobile extender this um kind of dumb laptop thing whereby yeah. you can literally put your phone next next to this what well, it seems to be a laptop and the laptop comes alive with all the power of the phone and then when you finished using it you just fold the laptop up and you take the phone with you and the phone has been the computer all along and everything's still running everything's still still current it's a very it's a very seems a more thought, well thought out more real world road warrior like solution than my 
Microsoft's Continue, which kind of needs access to an HDMI-compatible monitor, which you don't always get in hotel rooms and places you go to. So I think this uh, this dumb laptop mobile extender thing, I think that's going to be differentiated. Just to go through the, some of the specs again, Rafe, before you leap in again. Um, it's just quite incredible, really. Uh, a 6-inch QHD AMOLED display. Um, Four gigabytes of RAM is a big thing. That's the, 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 more than the, the the current Lumia flagships. A four thousand one hundred and fifty milliamp hour battery. They really have just gone gone pedal for the metal. To and every single they got wireless charging because of the plastic construction, although presumably high quality. Quick charge three point naught. Um, the camera looks pretty decent. F over two point naught sixteen megapixels. So it's got the in theory it's got a fingerprint sensor as well as the Windows Hello Irish recognition. I gather the the demo models on the stand didn't have the sensor yet. That's right. They didn't didn't have that, and so as I say, it was kind of an early model. They talked about the summer timing weren't very uh, specific on pricing. Um, the sixteen megapixel camera. I tried to get some extra details of that in terms of what was the sensor and where the components were came from, but they were being quite cagey about that. I think partly because they didn't know. But it does have uh, <laughs> it, 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 described as a low light sensor and LED flash. I would suspect it will be a step back from some of the something like the Lumia 950, yeah. for example. But you know, um, there was uh, dual SIM cards, for example. There's a, the ex- expected micro SD cards, like it's Gorilla Glass 4. So, like you say, all the materials were kind of um, premium. The uh, dock itself was kind of interesting because uh, it has uh, Ethernet port in it as well as the expected HDMI or the USB ports. Um, you know, it was also got a place where you can actually slot the phone in, which is sort of one up over the Microsoft dock in, in some ways. Uh, so it's just kind of a, a neater solution. Like you say, it feels like they've thought through Continuum a bit more. The extender, I, I'm honestly in two minds about because I remember the Motorola Atrix, which kind of took a similar approach. It's very different as from a software perspective. We'll come back to that. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I was going to say. And, you know, I kind of go, once I'm having to carry the extender around, would I not just carry a standalone laptop? And especially, you know, you saw quite a lot of two-in-one transformer devices, including the um, slightly bizarrely named Huawei MateBook uh, being announced at the show, which actually was a really attractive device. I mean, as someone who uses a Surface, I was very, very taken by that. Um, and so, yeah, as you say, all the specifications, uh, you know, Part of me was going, oh, this is an absolutely fantastic device. You know, this is the Windows 10 mobile flagship that everybody uh, wanted. But some of that was blunted by the fact it was from HP and there is this enterprise focus. So it's very unclear, you know, how available this is going to be. I would sort of be surprised if this is available from mainstream operators. And, you know, I, I think there was an underlying sense at MWC that, uh, Windows 10 Mobile is, is suffering a little bit because of all the things that have happened with Nokia and Microsoft. And so some people were just not taking it seriously and just saying, you know, why has HP announced this phone on a dead platform? And they, I think they kind of missed the point because HP is you know, all about the enterprise play here. And actually the fact that you can use kind of, or at least the way they talked about it was kind of grown up Windows. And you can, thanks to that um, uh, software, HP Workspaces that I was describing, which is a thing that actually really caught my attention because a lot lot of the time you wouldn't know the difference. And of course, you get that big screen advantage. Um, Yeah, it's going to be, I think, one that will attract a lot of attention from Windows fans. You know, HP has been doing mobile devices uh, for a very long time and has plenty of history in the Windows mobile world, if I can call it back back to the early days with that and of course you know the 
things like Compaq and the iPack and all of those devices, the HP Dual Data, I can remember them being some of my favorite devices. So in one sense, it was a bit of a, a return to the mobile space in a way they haven't been around for the last few years. And actually, they also had a number of laptops and tablets on display as well. And interestingly, their technology was being used to add kind of smartness to a couple of uh, watches as well. Uh, so HP actually, you know, although they kept it fairly quiet, was a, a bit of a, a star, I would say, at MWC, particularly for those who are interested in the Microsoft ecosystem and sort of wanting a, a Windows device. So I, for me, they get points for actually doing something innovative and you know very powerful on mobile computing. There is a debate about Windows 10 Mobile um, to be had with them as well. But honestly, you know, it, it's a device for me that was kind of most unexpected and most interesting at MWC because, you know, the other big flagships, it was very easy to predict what was going to happen, but it ended up being, you know, far more than I expected it to be. I mean, in, in terms of the design and styling with the impression, I, yeah, it, it was nice. It was very different to kind of the Lumia devices. So it was, I would say, more of a masculine design, you know, with the metallic highlights, but as you say, the plastics also for the wireless charging. Um, it doesn't feel quite as fluent or as cohesive as some of the other designs I've seen, but I suspect the sort of people interested in this device won't really mind because it's still relatively light, it's still slim, and it has all of those really top-end components in it. Yeah, for me, the uh, the HP's appearance with the Elite X3 as a sort of computing system with all the various gadgets, um, it's really a vote of confidence in Windows 10 in, in all its form factors and also in continuum. I think that's what people will take away from outside the all about Windows Phone sphere, if you like. People from other, on other platforms, they, they, they saw the coverage this got. Other sites picked it up thought, hang on a minute, this has got higher specs than the, some of the Android flagships. <laughs> and it does all this continuum form factor changing tricks. So I, th I think it's a real vote of confidence. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and certainly Microsoft, I think it will be very happy to see that proof point. Just one more thing on the enterprise angle. It was interesting to see HP also demonstrated the Salesforce software running on this. And clearly it's part of that wide strategy. So I don't think this will come to the market in a consumer device in the same way that some of the Lumia devices have done. But nonetheless, if you're a, uh, a Windows Phone fan, it's, you know, this is a device to get excited about. Yeah, yeah. Also, just very briefly, because we didn't really <laughs> cover it in huge detail on the site, because we've mentioned it before, is the, is it the Vio Phone Biz? Have I got that name right? Yes, I believe that that's right. Um, there was only one of these that I found on the uh, Microsoft stand because uh, Veo is sort of, people think of it as a Sony brand, but of course it's been spun off since then. Um, yeah, again, it's a very uh, beautiful device. It's got a kind of machined aluminium casing um, and it's, again, I think, focused at the business markets. It's going to be available in Japan and there wasn't really a lot of clarity on whether it's going to be available uh, more widely. Yes, it comes with uh, Continuum, and uh, you know, that Veo brand in itself is uh, quite attractive to a lot of people. Uh, I couldn't find anyone to talk in much detail about it, apart from kind of explain some of the basic specs. Um, but yeah, picking it up, I would say I, I would just give this a nod over the HP device in terms of the kind of the looks and the styling. It just felt like a little bit more attention had been paid. But I mean, again, that's be being pretty fussy. But good to see that uh, Microsoft is having other partners announcing their device. And I actually saw this one on the Microsoft stand where they were also showing off a number of the other uh, partner devices, including one from Mouse Computer, the new Alcatel Fierce XL that was announced, I think at CES it was. Yeah. Um, and then there were also the, some of the Japanese manufacturers, I think it was the Trinity Nuance Neo, which is the uh, five inch Windows 10 mobile device with 
kind of uh, the interchangeable two-tone backplates, which actually make for a pretty fat device. So it's not one I would personally want because it just feels a bit too weighty, but certainly unusual materials, including kind of what I think it's a, a false wooden option, um, 30 megapixel rear camera, and again, quite high spec. Um, they've talked about the fact, again, it's for the Japanese market, but there is some indication that it might become available internationally as well i mean there were a couple of other devices as well again from some of these smaller manufacturers uh, panasonic actually had a, i think it was a tough pad fzf1 um, a kind of ruggedized device aimed at mobile office workers for sort of logistics retail kind of that kind of um, workforce phone rather than being for consumers and actually there were a couple of other uh, kind of windows 10 mobile tablet form factor devices around as well again from brands you typically wouldn't recognize um either and again this was seven to eight inches in screen size i talked a little bit about them at ces and it was slightly strange honestly to see windows 10 mobile running on that I haven't previously seen these kind of devices running windows 8.1 the kind of the full desktop version um, but it does give you a clue as to how microsoft and its partners see this developing and i think if you look ahead clearly you're going to see windows 10 mobile and the desktop versions come ever closer uh, together and so you know actually it was somewhat surprising to see quite a wide variety of windows 10 mobile hardware you know there weren't any really big high profile launches in the same vein as kind of uh, the samsung s7 the lg g5 or even the uh, xiaomi mi 5 in terms of big press events but there are enough devices around that you know clearly microsoft has been able to round up some partners the big question about all of these is, of course you know how will these get to market how will these be commercialized and while i think we can be very confident about the enterprise space with the device from veo from hp it's harder to see how these will make it into you know high street shops in europe and the us and that's the the fight that microsoft is now going to be you know, having to look at um, how much that will matter. You know, that really depends on your perspective. And I think that's why, you know, talking to a lot of the other press and media at the show, they're kind of quite dismissive of Windows 10 mobile thing. Basically, it's time is done, despite the fact that these devices were announced. And it's not an unreasonable position to take, because frankly, there were very few commitments to these actually being commercially launched on a worldwide basis. You know, Alcatel talked a little bit about how their phones would be available in a few European markets and then places like Russia and their home market in China as well. Um, but, you know, gone are the days where a Lumia phone would be announced and they'd say that it's going to be shipping in 60 markets within 60 days or something like that. So, you know, and just trying to add a bit of realism um, into you know, the excitement about seeing these new devices, which inevitably there was. And it's one of the great things about MWC, of course, you see lots of hardware being announced. I mean, I will say, you know, um, the spectacle of the S7 launch with 5,000 Gear VR headsets being put on the seats and some somewhat the irony, I guess, of um, having to put on a VR headset when you're actually physically at a location to see a phone launch, but tremendously effective as a way of gathering buzz you know that used to be something that nokia would do when they had several thousand people at their launch events and they scaled down over time and this time obviously uh, no launch event the 650 was announced the week before mobile world congress but but the irony of talking about all of this hardware at mwc was actually hardware was kind of de-emphasized wasn't as important it used to be and although this was actually one of the best years for kind of new phone launches that we've had for quite a while kind of the background conversation was actually hardware doesn't matter so much anymore it's about all the things that you do with it and it, 
I joked on a recent 361 podcast that were kind of post-hardware, and this was the MWC that was about post-hardware, because yes, of course, people got excited about the new hardware, the S7, the LG5, and these new Windows 10 mobile devices that we've been talking about, but actually that's kind of not enough anymore. Everyone has a smartphone, it's become a commodity, and so for particularly when you look at the business and the services running on top, actually it then became about things like you know, the Internet of Things, smart home, automotive, all of those other pieces. And hardware is far less kind of the leader of the show than it used to be. The one exception I will say to that is virtual reality. And it was kind of a shame that Microsoft didn't make more of a play of maybe showing off HoloLens, which I actually think is almost the next step beyond virtual reality. But with Samsung showing off its entire ecosystem, both the Gear VR headset and the Gear 360 camera and similarly from LG. It was also the fact that VR was being demonstrated on virtually every stand. You know, it was a way of grabbing people's attention and showing off concepts around 5G or you know things that you couldn't fit onto the stand. And it was a complete package, if you like. You know, you had the content providers, you had the capturing both for pros with something like the Nokia Ozo, which is that 40,000 uh, VR camera. Really impressive. Nice to see that in person as well. But you also then had the headsets ranging from things like the HTC Vive with its room scale VR down to the sort of £30 plastic Google Cardboard versions and everything in between. I mean, one, you know, a no-name brand actually had built an Android device into a VR headset so you no longer had to put your phone inside because there are those two dimensions to VR, the kind of the mobile orientated one where you put a phone in like with cardboard and then the high-end stuff which is tethered to a PC like Oculus Rift or Vive VR or PlayStation VR and all of those. Um, And it's very easy to dismiss VR as something kind of gimmicky and of course it is that at the moment in one sense because it's attracting loads of attention but you start to see the applications for it uh, both in kind of something like health, for example, where it can be used for rehabilitation, but education and training, um, understanding, teaching people how to make an injection at home. It can be used for entertainment. It can be used for teleoperation of machinery and industrial applications. And to me, it feels very much like where uh, smartphones or mobile were you know, 10 and then maybe 20 years ago where things were briefcase size or you had this big lump that didn't actually do all that much. I'm sure VR will shrink down in size over time and increase in sophistication and kind of quality. And, you know, HoloLens and the mixed reality that it espouses, I think is kind of an example of where that will go. And obviously there's going to be a limit to how small it can shrink if you're still going to get that complete coverage and get the audio as well. But I'm sure it will become more elegant because at the moment you look at people wearing a VR headset and frankly, there is, there's no way to look graceful. So, you know, that's what's so great about MWC. You can kind of get this glimpse of the future even if you, you think the practical applications and where it becomes mainstream is, you know, a bit further off. And I can't help but think back to my first MWC where, you know, the big deal was camera phones and being able to capture one or two megapixel cameras uh, or pictures. And, and now that's just completely mainstream, accepted. You know, very few people would carry a point and shoot. You know, looking around the show, no one was carrying, well, apart from a few uh, journalists were carrying a standalone camera. And so that's the kind of scale and pace of change in the kind of the forerunner you see at MWC. I will say that IoT was the other big thing. And that's, of course, divided in lots of different verticals. So health, automotive, probably education, and then consumer with things like the wearables were the, were the really big ones there. Smart cities starting to come in a lot more. Maybe I'll talk about that a little bit more in a, a podcast in a week or two's time. But that's trying to get across some of the, the themes. But 
circling back to the point I was trying to make originally, and sorry for waffling on here, Steve, was actually <laughs> the hardware. If I if I sound less than excited by it, it's probably a reflection of the fact it's now the week after MWC, but also the fact that hardware probably doesn't excite in quite the same way that it used to. And, you know, if something like the HP Elite X3 had been announced, you know, three or four years ago, it had been going, oh, wow, that's absolutely amazing. And now there's, there's this kind of realisation that mobile is and much beyond that. And actually the tagline for MWC is, as deemed by the GSMA, which is the body that organized it was mobile is everything, which is, I think stretching a little bit. Um, but it's definitely <laughs> yeah. true to say that mobile is about a lot more than hardware, which is certainly where we started, um, back in the early days of the all about sites and three lib and all of, and, and phone show chat being a good example. It would have always been about hardware. And now we find ourselves talking about apps and services a lot more. And we'll, we'll cover the hardware. Of course we will, but that's just kind of an accepted, assumed thing. Even to an extent, the same thing applies to apps now. You know, yes, you'll recommend the new interesting ones. Um, but for MWC, the assumption is everyone's doing hardware everyone's doing apps they've almost become a commodity so it's about what's next and certainly 5g and ubiquity connect ubiquitous connectivity and the flexibility of the network to be able to do more than just mobile phone that's a massive simplification there iot and connecting every single object around you and then vr is kind of this new experiential thing and a new kind of uh, mechanism for consuming content were probably the three biggest themes of the show yeah, yeah. Um, returning back to something we'd mentioned in a previous podcast, and it's very topical because you mentioned services there. Um, and in the last podcast, there was a rather sad moment when you uh, bemoaned the loss of uh, or imminent loss of Mix Radio. And I did a feature today on the brand new Universal app for Deezer, which is a service I hadn't used before. But d- am I wrong, Rafe? Or is, is it remarkably similar in terms of what the end user can get out of it, both for free? And in terms of paying to mix radio, you've got a, a flow system which p- provides recommendations based on the tracks you previously favorited, which you can access for free with a few limits on skips per hour and the odd advert, etc. Then you can pay £10 a month and get unlimited access to any track in any order and with the flow stuff and with offline uh, access as well. It seems to me that uh, this is particularly good timing for Deezer coming out with a big push for its, you know, universal application on phone, tablet, laptop, desktop, especially as mixed radio and the Windows phone world is uh, dying a death. Yeah, it does seem like a fortuitous timing. Um, I think they may have done an extra, you know, PR push in order to get this out here in the light yeah. of mixed radio. I mean, I would say these are sort of more comparable to something like Spotify, but you're right, actually, there probably is an accent that pushes it more towards uh, mixed radio, particularly with the kind of the freemium option that you've been describing. I haven't actually listened to Deezer's kind of curated stations and to understand whether it's surfacing kind of new and unexpected artists in quite the same way that mixed radio did. Because I think there was probably more of an emphasis on that in mixed radio than any of the other streaming music services I've tried, which tended to be much more conservative or Catholic in the taste that it tended to bring up. And mixed radio kind of always threw in that odd one that would help you discover something new and interesting, which was one of the things I really loved about it. Um, Deezer, I suspect, will be more similar to the mainstream. But, you know, if you're looking for kind of a, a freemium option, and particularly then the ability to upgrade to freemium if you find you, yourself listening to a lot, it's definitely worth a look. I mean, we talked about Spotify um, in that mixed radio podcast. Um, this is a, this is an alternative. And uh, for, for Windows fans, this is a good one because obviously this universal app means you'll get a very similar experience across uh, mobile, tablet and desktop. And Deezer did have a uh, Windows phone application before, 
that the quality of it wasn't perhaps as it should be. I mean, I did use it for a while um, and the consistency across with the desktop, it was, it was okay, but uh, this universal app does seem quite a bit more promising. So I'm going to actually try using it for a few weeks and I'll, I'll report back in a future podcast. Yeah, as you say, the big strength of Mixed Radio was partly the human curation rather Absolutely. than algorithmic curation. And also the fact that you had multiple sort of uh, smart mixes, whereas here at Deezer, you basically just got the one. You you tell it what music you like. You you, you favourite of Carlos Santana and Bruce Springsteen. And, and as you go, you favourite a few more tracks. And overall, the, 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 the quality of the flow, the quality of the mix gets more accurate and you enjoy more and more of it. But it's, it isn't quite the same. But hey, it's it's a way forward that's sustainable. It's a commercial, which means it actually stands a chance of existing in a year or two's time. Whereas I think Mixed Radio was, you know, as we've said in last week's podcast, was kind of bouncing around from one to the other um before we finish just a very quick mention microsoft has bought xamarin what on earth is xamarin you ask <laughs> um as i understand it rafe given that the, the, the unfortunate demise of project astoria which is microsoft bridge of a way of bringing android applications and their their sort of runtime versions into the windows 10 mobile world which never really quite panned out in any shape or form uh, microsoft is now think, okay well xamarin or an independent development house writing applications with a kind of a middleware for all three mobile platforms ios android and windows 10 mobile so uh, from in dotnet and c sharp so why not just buy xamarin and then you're kind of in control of applications for all three platforms especially as microsoft itself now is having a push into all platforms it just seems like a match made in heaven uh, and I think you probably summarised it really well there. It was the right time for Microsoft to buy, given their stri- their, their shifting strategy. Um, of the cross-platform tools, I think Xamarin is arguably the most sophisticated and probably the best choice to use if you're going cross-platform. Going cross-platform itself is a, a difficult decision to make because it's usually done for cost-efficiency reasons. and uh, That doesn't always uh, get borne out by the time you go through a project because you end up having to optimise for each platform anyway. I mean, that's a much wider discussion and incorporates things like things like Cordova and the, the phone gap and um, things like Accelerator as well. But uh, Xamarin does have a pretty good reputation in the cross-platform space. And vitally for Microsoft, it's basically using the Microsoft toolchain, you know, C Sharp and .NET to produce these cross-platform apps for iOS, Android and Windows. And actually the ability to uh, customize and optimize for each of those platforms is there. You know, for a lot of companies, the critical point is that you can use your .NET developers and you don't have to have uh, native mobile developers for Android, iOS, uh, and Windows. And yet, so, you know, if you're already developing desktop applications or you've got .NET developers doing enterprise apps, it can actually be a very sensible choice because you don't then have to recruit more people or, you know, get extra resources in to develop those, uh, mobile apps. And they've had very impressive growth over the last, uh, four years. And, you know, the key thing I think about Xamarin is, although, again, this is a simplification, they basically do deliver native experiences on each of the platforms. They're not kind of basing things so much around a web view, which is typically what you're seeing with Accelerator and with uh, PhoneGap. And that's often why you have kind of both the performance and the experience uh, issues or challenges with those two other platforms. Um, interestingly, they also uh, have the Xamarin Test Cloud, which, as uh, Microsoft describes it, they allows all types of mobile developers to test and improve the quality 
of their apps using the cloud-hosted phones and devices. And that might not seem terribly exciting, but it's actually a, a really important part of the development process, especially when you're trying to do testing and quality. And again, if you're, you know, if you haven't got specialists in that domain, it actually makes sense to be able to use the kind of the things that are integrated into the workflow and the tool chain of, uh, of Xamarin. Um, as you suggested there, Xamarin has actually been a long time partner of Microsoft and it's been, uh, that there's been a joint effort to get it integrated into Visual Studio, which is Microsoft's big, uh, big developer tool, as well as some of the other kind of cloud tools that Microsoft provides and things like Azure. And so, you know, it's sort of one of these ones you wonder why it existed outside of Microsoft. And actually it's because it allowed them to sort of target some of the other platforms and do non-Microsofty things in the years where Microsoft was very much focused on its own mobile platform. But as you said, you know, Saturn Adela has now gone, I think, full bore into supporting multiple mobile platforms. Um, and so absolutely the right time to make this purchase. And they, you know, I think Microsoft would want to control this. Um, there, were, I'm sure will be some people concerned that Xamarin won't have quite the flexibility or kind of that responsiveness as it had before to develop a request. But I suspect Microsoft is going to handle this very carefully. They just didn't want it falling into anyone else's hands. And they probably want to use the tools themselves to, you know, be able to use their own technologies to build these cross-platform apps. And that would certainly make a lot of sense. So uh, good news, I think, for uh, Microsoft's developers. Is it good news for uh, Windows ecosystem? Yes, because it will see, uh, in theory, at least more apps uh, come to all the platforms. For Windows 10 Mobile, I, I don't think it's a particular negative or particular positive. Um, I think, you know, those who are going to use Xamarin would have probably looked at Windows 10 anyway, uh, but it probably means we'll see slightly more regular updates and maybe parity on those apps that do use it. They, they will get delivered into Windows 10 Mobile. So in that sense, I, I, yes, it's a good thing. The tool existed before, so that doesn't really change, but with Microsoft's name behind it, it gets a bit more promotion. I suspect where this will have the biggest impact is actually in the enterprise space and sort of line of business applications where you know Microsoft will be promoting this to its solution providers and to its really big enterprise companies saying, hey, look, you can use your .NET developers, which you're already using to build enterprise apps and do stuff with our, our servers and with our cloud to also deliver mobile apps. And by the way, they'll go onto Windows, they'll go onto iOS and go onto Android. Um, so actually, I suspect it's probably best news for enterprise users of iOS and Android devices in some ways. But yeah, there's a very quick run through Xamarin. I'm not an expert in it, um, but I will say I've heard very good things about it from uh, developers. And I think it's probably the most well-regarded of those cross-platform development tools. So uh, very uh, canny purchase by Microsoft, I would say. That's a pretty wonderful summary, but it also brings us right to the end of the podcast, Ray. So we do, have one, we do have one question, which I'm going to leave everyone with as a tease for next week's podcast. The question is, and you've got a one-word answer coming up, Rafe, <laughs> is Windows 10 Mobile still in beta, yes or no? Well, officially, it's not. <laughs> um, I think I could just spoil it by reading the rest of your article, but yes, it's great. We're, we talked all about this, about was the Lumia 650 a great device? And it was sort of the caveat was it's about the software. But shall we uh, touch on that more in the next podcast, Steve? We will. And that wasn't a one-word answer. But I'll forgive you. It's been a long day and you've been wonderfully eloquent, Rafe. I'll sign off and say thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next week, whether it's with Rafe. I know Rafe's doing a bit of traveling or whether we have another fill-in volunteer. But uh, thank you to Jason Snowden, by the way, last week. It was excellent. And uh, hopefully have more special guests in the coming months. But in the meantime, I'll say goodbye. Uh, it's goodbye from me. Thanks for listening.